really once I discovered positive discipline, it gave me that real clear framework and language to support parents and teachers and grownups and people working with kids. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 388. Today, we're talking about the myths about parenting littles with Julietta Skoog. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. So glad you are here. Listen, Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of these awesome episodes. And if you've gotten some value from the Mindful Mama podcast, please, 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 please go over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating and review. It helps the podcast grow more. This is the way we grow and it's an incredible way to support us. It just takes like 30 seconds. And I I appreciate it so, 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 so much. Thank you. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Julieta Skoog, a school psychologist, school counselor, parent coach. Julieta has helped families for over 20 years, bringing her unique ability to translate research, child development, and positive discipline principles into everyday solutions. And she is a master of these little kids, meaning that she just helps us translate what's happening for them and how we can just connect in a much better way. And we talk about some of the myths about them, about we're talking about the myth of the terrible twos and how maybe kids, we think kids are too little to help and being strong-willed. You're going to hear us talk about a lot of different myths, and I hope this episode really shifts your idea about what it means to parent little ones and maybe makes you even excited to really dive into this super, super important time. So join me at the table as I talk to Julieta Skoog. Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to Mindful Parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you've taken bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful Parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. 
Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. Well, Julieta, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here. I'm just happy to be in conversation with you. I could talk to you about anything all day. Well, Julieta, I'm sorry to have you on because I know you personally after our, little, our experience on the other side of the world from us in Abu Dhabi, where we had great adventures and learned about camel Botox, among other things, <laughs> and had an amazing time. Um, but I'm having you here today not to talk about camel Botox, but about, but about your work in talking about littles and helping us with our littles, because they're so confusing and challenging and difficult. How did you get into your passion about helping people work with little kids? I love littles. You know what? I've always I've always loved little, little people. And I can even remember back, I don't know if you felt this way, if this resonates with you, but I was one of those children who loved children. Like I can remember back being in loving my Montessori program because it was a multi-age and I could take care of the little children there. And I was always playing with the little kids in the neighborhood or having my own little side daycare even before I could babysit. Then the minute I could babysit, I always was that person. So loved being a camp counselor, coach gymnastics. So children have always been in my world and in my wheelhouse. And I've always felt really comfortable with them. And I've always felt like they are often um, misunderstood. And I feel like I always had that sense, even when I was very young, that they, they're trying to communicate something to us and it's not landing with the grownups. Like the grownups aren't getting it, you know? Oh. So um, flash forward to my graduate programs. I have graduate degrees in school psychology and school counseling and was really excited to work in schools. And really moved um, pretty quickly into those early years. I ran the preschool assessment team, that clinic for many years, evaluating young children, really getting a strong sense of just development and seeing patterns over time. And then working in elementary schools with typically developing children, kids that had different developments. Um, And so I really loved working directly with the children, but I always felt that chasm between what the grownups were experiencing with their children. And so I really had this passion for that bridge in between of how to kind of translate what the kids' behaviors were trying to communicate to the grownups and what the grownups were trying to get from the kids and how they could meet in the middle and have a shared language. So for me, positive discipline, the framework around positive discipline was really helpful. So there was a lot of that was coming intuitively, I think, for me. But really, once I discovered positive discipline, it gave me that real clear framework and language to support parents and teachers and grownups and people working with kids. That's amazing. Yes, I absolutely cannot relate to any 
those things that you said about loving little kids when you were little. I did not love little kids. And and, and in fact, I've always been in awe of like like the preschool teachers and the people who loved being around little kids because I was like, they're so mind boggling. <laughs> and and you you were you were basically one of those people that I was probably like in awe of or you're like, I get them. I can translate them. I can I you know Yeah. Well and I think back in I mean in my day, you know, of like when I was babysitting, I mean, they would let you they would let a twelve year old take care of Oh yeah. When I was eleven, I took care of a two year old <laughs> and an eight year old. Yes. I remember having twin babies. And they, they were like maybe like nine months old, let's say. I mean, they definitely weren't walking and they definitely were like infants and they twins and they the parents were like, bye, just give them a bath. And I remember thinking, I don't know how to know. I don't know how to do this. And they're really slippery. Oh, my God. So the next time I came back, I was like, this is not working. I knew enough to keep them safe. But the next time I came back to babysit that family, I brought my swimsuit and I was like, I'm getting in the bathtub with them. And I literally just like got in. I was like, I'm going to be so safe and like do this. I just going to figure this out. Oh my God. That's amazing. I want you as my babysitter for years ago. <laughs> that's so cool. Um, wow. Okay, cool. So you were, you had this affinity to the littles and you feel like they're misunderstood. What did you mention positive discipline that really resonated with you? What was it that that framework and that way of thinking gave you that was different from what other things were telling you? Yes. So I found that, so it's the underlying psychology of positive discipline draws from Adlerian psychology. And the Adlerian part that was, that resonated with me so deeply throughout all my graduate work as a school psychologist and school counselor was this idea that behavior is purposeful, that every human being whether you're a child or grown up, that we are driven by a need for significance and belonging. So significance meaning I matter, I can contribute, and belonging meaning I'm connected to others. And it just connected the dots for me for child development, both you know biologically in terms of being so socially wired, hardwired to connect, to be attached to caregivers. The idea that we are all just wanting to belong, that we are all wanting to contribute, to feel like we matter, so the whole respect part of that really was just so um, profound and really highlighted how I wanted to be with kids. I wanted to see classrooms and homes and help support those environments where the kids felt like they mattered and they were seen and there was respect there. And also that there was the opportunity for them to um, to contribute in a way that was meaningful, you know, to really um develop the, that capability. And I think that is really one of the hallmarks of positive discipline is like inviting children to discover how capable they are. And so this intersection between that psychological drive and also biological drive that kids are so capable, if we let them, if we take the time to teach, if we invite them in a way through play, which is their office, which is the way that they learn and discover and explore when we don't shame or punish them for making a mess, but we see them as little scientists and can harness that to contribute and be and be capable. So you said you were a Montessori kid, right? I was just for a couple of years, but it was really profound. Just that preschool, kindergarten until we oh. until we moved. And then I was in. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is all like this all sounds so very Montessori to me because like I, I'm a founding board member of a, the first public charter Montessori school in the state of Delaware. 
And um, my kids have been in Montessori since they were like little. And actually, Sora's going and going to go into her last year, which will be eighth grade next year. But yeah, that whole idea that kids are so much more capable than we under than we understand. I mean, I remember just witnessing that in the Montessori classrooms, like seeing like, oh, my God, like this woman is making blueberry muffins with a whole bunch of two, two and three year olds and being like, what's happening? <laughs> well, and I think I actually do think my 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 mother was so drawn to that philosophy. And I think that was that was sort of the culture in her home was like everyone's capable. We also had she was very my mother was very sick, diagnosed when I was five, but really profoundly six on. And I think that was because we had had that foundation in our home of that we were seen, that we were capable, that we mattered. And in a, I had two sisters that we were taking care of each other as well. So there was definitely that cultivation of that, of that philosophy, and then really the, the practical experience. And so I think coming on the other side, obviously, as a grown up reflecting back to that is how can we how can we give that to kids? How can we give that experience without the trauma? It's not that they have to go through a horrible illness with a parent to like suddenly have to be completely independent, you know. Um, but it's this idea that that we're capable, kids are capable, you know, seeing them. But also the language that positive discipline gave was this idea of being connected and firm at the same time. And I think there is a, a language and a tone that parents and grownups have sometimes with littles that just don't, it's like lost in translation. You know, it's either too babyish or it's dismissive. And so this idea of being connected and firm and the firmness around systems, routines, what's supposed to be happening, the consistency, the predictability, the rhythm. And Montessori has this, Waldorf has this. There's that the idea of the rhythm and the ritual of a day that brings safety and security and predictability that allows kids to feel safe enough to be creative, explore you know, not push back or pump the brakes or dig into the power struggle, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I could see that all my my youngest daughter or my oldest daughter needed that all so much like that rhythm of like, first we do this and then we do this. We even had like Monday night was pizza night and Tuesday night was race night, Friday night, you know, and then we had soup night and then it would like be like, what night is it? Oh, it's it's pasta night. Yay. You know, and that predictability was just super grounding and helpful for them. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcasts right after this break. As parents, we know that there are so many things in life that we have to compromise on. But when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that doctor that doesn't really listen to you. Instead, check out ZocDoc. This is a place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, there's no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you actually know about. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com mindful and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash mindful. 
ZocDoc.com slash mindful. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. So let's talk about littles that are in there with the like frustrating ages of littles, right? So we ha- everyone has heard about the term like the terrible twos and toddlerhood, right? Is this time that parents feel like we're just advised to like get through it, right? Like survived to- toddlerhood. And how do you like to reframe this for parents? Yes. Well, and I think one thing that I'll add so that I don't paint myself as this like incredible, you know, Mary Poppins <laughs> level, like with the young children that was so just naturally like understood them because I, <laughs> I I had that. And then I actually had my own children. Oh, okay. and after I'd worked for years in schools, I married a teacher. Like we could not have been more like prepared, you know, but when you have your own children, it's a whole nother ballgame. I mean, I went right back to positive discipline and said, okay, let's retrain through this lens. Um, she was colicky, extremely colicky, strong-willed. They all are strong-willed. You know, I'm, I get nervous when people would say that my kids are not strong-willed. But um, but it, it, it is really relentless. And I think it's that part where you get to these this concept of the terrible twos. And then you're like, okay, I've made it. But then they turn three and then they turn four. And you know what? It actually gets like harder. It gets more intense. And maybe by then you've had another three is- baby more intense than two, three and a half. Oy. Exactly. Well, and I think this is one of those myths that it's like, just get through the terrible twos and then you're fine. And so there's a lot of missed opportunity because you are just put in survival mode and you do a lot of enabling or a lot of just, I'm just going to do it myself. I'm just going to hold out, try and squeeze everything in during their nap. Or once I get them to sleep, like hurry through them to sleep and then clean up the mess and rinse and repeat the next day. And there's kind of this like, culture of like, oh, kids, you know, aren't they in the rain? And aren't the little so like, ugh, you know, or let's just like get them into the play dates so I can avoid them. And so I think the reframe that you're that you're asking about is is really critical. And and it really is a decision point, you know, when you when they are young. And I remember actually going through this really personally with my husband when we had our three or third of saying like, you've got to re-engage. Like this is, we've got to make a decision right now that we're not just complaining about like, oh, third, you know, another baby or whatever. It's like really having that mindset of this time mat- this time matters and it doesn't, it doesn't have to take me down. You know, it's understanding that yes, it is absolutely relentless. It is the most like relentless time you will have 
for sure the most intense time. And you know, you've got an older one as well. I know I've got a teenager now in middle school, and I wouldn't say that it doesn't get any less time (laughs) consuming for sure, but there is an intensity of the physical nature of the of these young kids when they're, you know, where you don't feel like you have that that separation from yourself Uh and the little person. Uh And um, and I think the reframe is that is that embracing that critical window that actually like Uh all of those behaviors, all of that relentless challenging, the tantrum, the screaming, the clinginess is actually that message of saying, like, I'm here. You know what I mean? Like I'm here. And this is our time together. And so we get to reframe this as like, this is our way to connect. This is our chance. We as the grown-up, as the parents get to find the fun, get to invite the cooperation. We we get to see their eyes light up when we include them and teach them, actually take that time for training and set up you know, the routines and really discover how capable they are Like when we can engage and say, yes, this is a relentless time, but it's not just about survive and get through it. It's about this is the time to teach into how they can thrive and how we can set up this awesome runway when they do get older. So I draw a lot from like lean just as heavily on Dr. Siegel's work, who's amazing. Um, And his um, I actually when I first when I first discovered him, I think, you know, through my students, but I think when I really appreciated him as a parent is when my oldest was four and recognizing that there was this surge in brain development, using his model of the brain in the palm of the hand, teaching her about her brain, empowering her about her brain as a preschooler and understanding that actually it isn't the terrible twos. It's the, as he says, it's the terrible threes and the effing four. So you just think it really like truly, I mean, the intensity of the fours are so hard. They're so emotional, you know, and they're bigger at that point. So I think what can happen is like we think, oh, we just have to get through the terrible twos. Well, guess what? If you have that mindset, then you're just going to hit the terrible threes. <laughs> and if you think, oh, I just have to get through those, then you're just going to end up in the effing fours. And if you get through that, then you're going to get into like the kindergartner where now you've got all these habits and you haven't really established, you know, teaching into coping skills um, capability, independence around routines. Mm-hmm. And you have to backtrack. You probably have some bad habits you got, you've built up that then you have to not only like stop, you have to like take a train that's going 90 miles an hour in the wrong direction, slow it down, stop it, and then turn it around. It's harder. It's all harder at that point. It's exactly right. And so I'm like, there's always something, you know what I mean? And that's where we look at with positive discipline. There will always be a list of challenges with children because they are children. They are growing their behavior. They're learning skills. They are not many adults. And so now is the time. You know, it's not just like, oh, I just have to get through this part and then it'll be over. It's never over. So I have sort of a a dark take to it of like, this is it. This is your life, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's so helpful, though, because like if we're just like, oh, I just got to get through this time, then we may not step into that big picture vision of like, wait a second, I'm burning myself out. You know, wait, I'm just trying to get through. You might just keep going with bad habits rather than saying, no, this I can't sustain this for two, three, four, five, six, ten years. You know, like, you know, if we can, if we say this is it, then we say, okay, this is either sustainable or this isn't as far as also our habits as parents and people who have needs. And then, you know, saying like, am I, am I happy with this relationship with this? 
tiny person. And and yes, what are the, you know, what are the what are the systems and framing and, and rhythm? You know, how can we help this child to be more sustainable? I remember, I mean, going back to the idea of Montessori, I remember my my brother with my youngest niece, like she was something like seven years old. She's like, Daddy, can I have some water? Can I have some water? Get me a glass. And he would have to go up and get her a glass of water. And I was like, oh, my God, how have you never figured out, you know, how have you not gotten the pitcher of water and the glasses at the level that she can get it so that you are not this child servant? You know, like this is uh, that's an unsustainable way of doing things. That's just like getting through the day. Right. And I think there's that part of like the idea that uh, and I think there there is a misnomer. I mean, I think a lot of parents don't don't realize like how capable they really are, you know. And so I think a lot of that, you know, so many high reps for me in the clinic when I was evaluating so many young children over and over and over again, um, developing this sort of concept that I'll share with you now, which is that, you know, really by two, they can be practicing everything like really. And I and I say 18 months. You know, really the lights start turning on for kids 14, 15 months. They're like, they get it. They start to really understand. They're starting to have those big, big emotions. 18 months, you can talk to them like I'm talking to you right now, you know, and as you should. Like they really understand. And when you can be in that attuned, you know, attuned with them, be in that presence and really like looking at them in this way and with that presence of like, we can, we're doing this together. We're, I'm showing you the way I'm your guide here then by two, they really are open and receptive to practicing all of these things. So just like you're saying, all of these around the house stuff, it's like getting dressed, bathing, you know, toileting, feeding, like all of these things around the house, the cooking, the, the clean, cleaning, the, the, all, you know, the getting out of the house, the transitions, you know, all grocery store, like all these kinds of life things. If they're going to daycare, it's getting getting the snack, you know, all of these things, when you can just in your mind think, two, they're practicing. And so letting them practice, you know, that's the hard part, right? Is that you actually, that's the me do it. That's the me do it stage. I they want to try to walk down those stairs or hold on to it, onto the railing. And you want to just scoop them up and shove them in their car seat and go, you know, but thinking about this, like, as you said, it saves you so much time down the road when you can say by two, they're practicing, by three, instructional, and by four, they can be really independent. And it doesn't mean all four-year-olds are independent. I'm just saying like the capability and the potential when you start with little. So the reframe of just like, oh, hurry up, get through it, do it for them. But when you've missed that window, like you've lost that for yourself, that awesome experience to be enjoying that time with them. So, and then positive discipline really gives us a lot of those like specific tools, like creating a visual routine with them that has a picture of them and shows you know, that they're getting dressed. And I, I really start everything with by two. So I do visual routines by two. I start teaching kids about the brain in the palm of the hand when they're two, literally when they're two, I start teaching them about their brains, um, using that model so that they can understand when they've had, when they're having that big emotion and what those really simple coping skills are to help them integrate again and where we can, we go back to that safe space and we practice our breathing and our mindfulness at this age too. I mean, really starting these kinds of habits and routines early so that, you know, just in these little way, little small ways, it's not like huge, you know, but so that when they're four, it's just, it's just the way we do things, you know? So what I'm kind of hearing from you is that like we can both, there's like some, a big, some big expectation shifts that need to happen. Like 
A, our expectation for this time um, and our expectations for twos and threes and what they can do and, and what they maybe should be involved in, right? Rather than, hey, you go take this device and go sit over there while I go do these things, inviting them into that. But that also requires a, an expectation shift of really lowing down and allowing like three times more time four times more time that it would take for you to do it yourself. But then knowing that this time is all going to be paid off later by a kid who can do, you know, is capable and helpful around the house because they've had a positive experience being invited into all the different things that we do. Yeah. And I think the reality check for as a mom of three kids and working on all this stuff is that, sure, we can't do it all the time. And so being intentional by finding those times when you can and you'd be surprised. You know, when you talk about like slowing it down, you know, there are times when you can do that. Maybe it's not on your way to the pediatrician appointment when you have to be on time and you need to, you know, in that moment. But like there are plenty of other times when actually you can let them try it and explore it. And we have this this experiential activity that we do in my positive discipline classes where um, I hand over these markers and I'm like, this represents your power. You know, do you want it? start to give the the pen. And then I'm like, oh, you're too little. Oh, we're in a rush. Oh, actually, just let me do it. And that that seeking of the power even more that you're inclined to have as a parent of like, I want that pen versus when we can just say like, you've got time. If we make a mess, we can clean it up. You know, just handing those markers over and saying, let me see you do it. I'll look at you. That little pause, that can give such a deposit. Even if you can't do it every single time, that one time that you've done it, that morning, you know, for that morning makes a difference in the way that they see themselves and they puff up and they have that confidence and they toddle around, you know, they feel seen. Yeah. 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 I love that. So one of the things that, you know, when we, uh, when parents of young kids, uh, when they come to me and we talk about communication is, you know, sometimes I ask them to even record themselves, like listen to what you sound like and just hearing, you know, the way that we habitually talk to when kids, young kids, which is like, come over here, go over there, put this on, take this off, climb up here, go over, you know, do, don't do that. You know, we're, it's just this constant, if we listen to ourselves, it can be this real constant barrage of just direct commands, which nobody likes, even two-year-olds, no one, no one like that. And so what I'm hearing from you, like this idea of when we can take time to give over those markers, to give that power, to let me see you do it and to take the time to let them do it. That's, you know, even if they live in a world where they're being constantly commanded, which is kind of in some ways almost inevitable in our culture with small children, right? Um, when we can give them that autonomy can really fill that cup for a while so that then when we have to kind of, we have to say, get in your car seat or whatever it is, like they're less likely to push back against it because that cup, that, that sense of I can do it and capability and autonomy has been filled. That's right. And we say there's the connection before the correction. And so when you feel connected to another person, when when they and their little brains, they use the Dan Siegel model, you know, feels integrated, they're receptive, their brain feels safe, they're going to be more apt to join you for whatever is that next part. And I think a lot of the the um, a lot of the pain points for parents are transitions. And so when you can have that connection and meet them and give them that little piece, it's like almost like that piece of gum that like 
stick it in and draw a little bit to the next thing. You know, that's the transition from them going from one to the next. They've got to feel safe enough to go with you to that next thing or whatever it is that you're asking them to do or that next. So the connection part is that matters. And if there's been some deposits earlier, for sure, it's going to be in there. And when you can keep with that theme of recognizing they're a little human, too, they're not just getting dragged around. And so and that the way that they are, their brain is developing through that play, you know, toddlers are so sensory oriented, preschoolers are so imagination oriented. When we can say, go pick out your stuffy or whatever they're into, go pick out your little character. Who's coming with us? Go pick your stuffy. Who's going to come with us? Let's go put them in the car seat with you. Having that little transition item that goes with them. Or we're going to be the choo-choo train. Let's all be a train. Okay, hook on to the train. The train's going to the car. Come on. Are you going to be the caboose? Are you going to be the leader? You know, any of those connection strategies that makes them feel seen, you know, going to be the unicorn. Let's start flying. Let's go. Or whatever it is that they're into. My my youngest right now, she has been, if I could, I could have done anything related to a ball or soccer or sports or anything. And she'd be like, I'll follow you anywhere, you know. She also went through a sound of music phase that was hilarious. Like if I was just like, come on, I'm Maria, which one trap kid are you? She would like follow me like a little duckling. But yeah, it's like it's that sense of, you know, when you're talking about autonomy that matters. So like, and we live in the real world. So when you have established firmly, this is our routine, right? We get up, we brush our teeth, we put our clothes on, we eat breakfast, we clear our place, we help clean up, we get ready for school or for our outing. We pack our bag. We're headed out. When that is really established, like I said, in terms of little, I just have this little one, old one here that's going to be here, like an old one. This is our dinner time routine with a picture of Leona and what's next. Then that part is we don't have to have a power struggle about it. They actually get to have a lot of autonomy because we're saying, here's what we're doing. And then how do you want to do it? You know, like they have the autonomy around which coat they're going to put on or if we're going to go out the back door, out the front door and then follow me or if we're going to be birds or we're going to be frogs, you know. So it's the idea, yeah, like inviting that cooperation, inviting that um, opportunity for them to have some autonomy because that's how they're wired, you know. And so when we don't give it to them, then they're going to, it feels confusing biologically. And so they're really going to push back and have, yeah, that power struggle. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcasts right after this break. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back. 
with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts, starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. I know, I was just saying, I love, like, you know, we hear connect before you correct a lot, and we love that. I love that. But I love the way you described it for us, like connect to them in their world and what their interests are. So connect with the sound of music or connect with this some playfulness, right? Like because their world is about playfulness or connecting, you know, in all those different ways. That's really beautiful. I like that sort of almost like real in your world aspect of that connection. Exactly. And that's the Adlerian psychology. Really, that's the connection for me is that perspective taking of getting into their world and specifically with littles. It is understanding developmentally where they're at. Like understanding where their brain is, like understanding that for threes and fours, there is that, you know, for Dr. Siegel, that like sort of surge in that right brain emotionality, that it is a lot harder for them instead of being like, what's wrong with you? You know, you're acting like a baby, right? And I, I going back to when, when it really resonated with me when my older was four and having this massive meltdown. And this, this was normally like a pretty capable kid and you're having huge emotions. And when I can get into her world, and understand, wow, she's just having her big feelings. It's not about me as a parent. It's not about my ego or what she should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Then I'm able to respond in that way. So my connection, you know, is really like getting into their world. How are they looking at this experience? They were just playing happily and now we're going to leave or they've got there's a new baby, you know, around now they've got to be quiet. That's got That's hard for them. Or just seeing it from their perspective. It's the end of the day. They were at school day or they're really hungry or they see another kid doing this. So they want to do it. You know, I mean, just really pause. It's that connection of like seeing it through their eyes, like going and meeting them on that other planet that they live on and then being like, hey, come over to my planet. It's really fun over here. Like we brush our teeth here, you know, but like <laughs> meeting them over there first and connecting with them in a way that that resonates with them. And a lot of that is about what their interests are, what they're their latest flavor of what they're into. Okay. So Julieta, a common stressor for parents, right? Is that let's is that having a mess around the house and clutter. Oh my God, I drove my husband bananas. Like, you might have is your husband a my husband is the same way. He's a real organizer and declutterer. Is your does he do that to like de-stress himself? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Like I wake up on the weekend mornings and he's like gone around and it's really wonderful. I love it. Um but Let's can like this idea of the little kids, though, like when can we bring them into this piece of the house? Like at at what age can we ask our kids to help out around the house and and chores and things like that? Because I think this is so important. You know, it was interesting because, you know, I was recently talking to Shafali for the podcast and she said, my my only expectations for my kids are like, don't be practical. You know, and and uh, and I forget what it was, but it basically was like, and I was like, well, that's great, but I have a lot more expectations for my kids. 
And so talk to me about this. Can we bring these little ones into keeping our house clean for our own sanity? Yes. And when you say what age can you start, I will tell you I start when they're babies. We st- I start day one. I start family meetings when they're six months old. I mean, I think for me, it's like when they're sturdy enough to be on your hip, like, yeah, and that's when you're that's when you're rolling, you know? All right. All right. So, um, yeah, I love eight months. I feel like they're like they're hardier by that time. They're more of like a raccoon, you know? But yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you can have them like ready, then that's when you want to when the train has left the station. So and I think to your and I'll describe how, but I think to your point about like, Dr. Shafali, and when we do, and I even looking at my own teenager, like, yeah, th- this is why we're, why I'm obsessed with the littles and why it is so awesome to be all in now, because then you can say, hey, you've got it. Like you've given them the, the armor, like you've given them this oh. so that you can totally let them be free when they need to be, you know, mm-hmm. when they go off into their adolescence and, and go be their person. Like, you know, I can relate to that as a mom of like a 16 year old now. Like I she knows she's got this. Sorry. Go ahead. No. And that's how I feel. I really do. There's such a freedom. And and certainly, you know, she's only 14 now. I'm 14. But like, I think I can I can tell already within our relationship, there is an ease and a trust that I have that I'm not like, oh, God, I forgot to help you with all these things. Like, so the earlier you can start, the better, because I think it allows you that longer runway within your relationship with this human to have that trust and that practice and that time and allow them to make tons of mistakes when the when it's low stakes you know so okay so let's talk about cleaning so number one is establishing as part of a routine kids love routine they love rituals so there's two times that you're going to be cleaning with your kids one is going to be an established time or two of the day and that is just part of the routine so it might be um before lunchtime or after nap time, or it might be um, just the one time of the day. For us, it's after, um, at the end of the day, before. It is actually, we have, well, we do, no, we do it before. Before dinner. Bath or shower. We do clean up our room and then we do a little meditation, which is just a practice of one of the coping skills. And then we go into bathing. Um, But we do two versions. So one is called a contribution wheel of choice. You can make it whatever you want. We like making a little pizza pie um, wheel. And and I have a video of this that I can uh, can share with you. I have a great helpful video links that I'll share with you. Um, but have on that wheel all the things. It could be clean up the playroom. It could be um, clean up the do dishes, vacuum, like anything around the house. And it doesn't have to be age specific. Like it can be clean the bathroom. It could be feed the dog. Any sort of a contribution that we have. We spin the wheel after dinner and everyone does something on the wheel. So even when I had babies, we would go spin the wheel and we'd say, oh, okay, looks like we got laundry. Let's go throw a load of laundry in. And then that's what you, we go and we do that. And they love being involved. And even when it would just be the baby that we throw the load in and set them on the floor and watch them. And and I'm talking to them just like this. Okay. And then we turn the dial and we push button looks like we've got a all you know cold and is it a medium load or is it a large load let's look talking to them in this way so that they just know this is just what we do after dinner or whatever that point is that there is part of that larger contribution or that larger chore that we do and then in addition there's all those other times throughout the day that we are inviting them in those around the house type of thing so like i said instead of you just waiting until they could be napping or they're asleep and you're doing all of those things, letting them be involved and slowing down those processes. If you are vacuuming, if you are wiping down the counters in the bathroom, having them come in, that you're all you're doing that with them before you're going 
out to do whatever it is you're doing for the activity. So thinking about some of those pieces, like for example, mine was always like, we were going to get all the breakfast dishes done. We're going to have the whole kitchen cleaned up before we go to the park, for example, on a Saturday morning. So everyone's involved. And that firmness, this is what we're doing before we go do those fun things. And everyone is going to come help. And we're going to have fun. We're going to turn on Disney music and we're going to and I'm going to be tickling them in between, you know, or um, or they're going to go play and be super focused on something else. And then that's fine, too. And I'm coming along doing my part as well, you know, um, and then and then really hitting those um, like the cleanup spots as those hot spots. So I think the biggest areas are the kids rooms and then maybe a playroom or the living room. And so having that established time that is that designated cleanup of that spot every day. And then it's just that that kind and for that connection and firmness of this is what we're doing. And then really playing into their imagination, into their um, into the finding the fun with them. And so let's see, should we get all the blue ones? I like to play I spy. I swear it has worked. It works from two on. I'll just say I spy with my little eyes something blue. And they'll go run and get something blue. I spy with my little eye train as I'm helping to clean up too. But I think it's that high reps of like, this is when we do it every day at that same time. Now you can have Alexa turn on the cleanup song and, you know, all of those things. But the firmness of like, this is what we're doing each time. And, and we're not doing anything else until this, until this. So I am like missile locked in on that. So what what do you do if you have like say a four year old and the four year old starts to wander off and start to play during cleanup time? Now you know because I know we want to be invitational, right? We want it to be fun, but that can be frustrating, right? For parents, like you were supposed to be helping me with this, and now you're not helping me with this. How do you approach a situation like that? Yeah, for me, it's just understanding they're still practicing their skills, their executive functioning is not mm-hmm. like a twenty five year old. They're still growing into that. So they are going to get distracted. They are going to wander off. So I go right away. I swoop right in and I go up. And then like you mentioned earlier, when it's like all these demands we're telling kids all the time, right? And I go, oh, what are we supposed to be doing right now? What were we doing? Right. And maybe they're like, no, but I want it. But it's boring. And then I might lean into some humor and say, oh, no, oh, no. Like I'm by myself. I'm melty. I need, you know, like, but if I don't love you, how are we ever going to get it done? Yeah, Yeah. And then they're like, but, you know, but I don't. And then there's like the next thing, like, yeah, but I didn't want to, but I want to just do this. Then I might say the connection. I know it's hard. We have just a few more to do. It feels overwhelming. And sometimes I do pause and I look. And if I feel overwhelmed by the mess, then I know they are triple fold because uh, I am really strong executive function. Uh-huh. So part of that is recognizing like how overwhelmed. And there are many times truly where I've looked at a room and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I am totally overwhelmed right now. So model it, say, I know it's really overwhelming for me too. We're just going to do this one section. And then in really engaging. And as as soon as they're like, no, but I want to play, you say, yes, when we're done, you'll play. We're going to put this right up here. I'll set it there. I'm excited for you too. And then keep with those invitations. I, I use this metaphor a lot where I imagine that I am on in a spaceship with eight rooms. And like I said, our kids, our four-year-old is on a different planet. They are. Where they're, the way that they see, it's true, the way that they see the world mm-hmm. and that situation is totally different from us. So I'm opening up these different doors trying to get to them, right? And some ways aren't going to work. If I use humor and it doesn't work, then I'm not going to try that again, mm. you know? I might try that offering that those couple of choices. I know it looks really overwhelming. Do you want to just start with those puzzle pieces? And I can do this whole section of books right here. No problem, right? Maybe that will engage them. Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's like really, you know, bringing out their favorite like Little Mermaid song or whatever, 
And you'll see they really still at four, they'll melt with that sometimes, you know, or it's more of a movement thing where it's saying like, oh, I know you've already come over here. Do you want a piggyback ride? Let's go. We'll gallop back, you know, so thinking about the physical part, littles are physical. Like we've got to, it can't just be verbal. It can't just be, Mm. we've got it. We can't just yell from the other room, get back here. You know, we've got to go get to their level, get with them and, and really guide them back with that physical part too. So this is like, uh, this is great. And I love this, like more complete description of this because, um, because it's a big investment in mental energy and physical energy to be inviting small kids to be doing in these things sometimes. Right. But the point that the overarching point that we want to remember with this is that it pays off later that if you are like exhausted and you don't want to be playful and blah, 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 you know, if you can practice and yourself to be playful, to try five other different ways to invite them into the the thing to, you know, to to really give it your best effort um, and be physical and all of those things is it really going to pay off later. Like there's a lot more effort involved when they're a lot smaller and then it pays off later because it's just normalized and this is part of your house. And then when you have a 12 year old, it's not such a big deal for them to do all the different things. A thousand percent. And here's what I hear from parents all the time. Number one, they're like, well, I'm just not fun and I'm not going to be and I'm and that's not who I am. They also are like, well, I'm tired. I'm working all day or I have a baby also and I don't have time for that and I don't have the energy. And what I ask them is I say, okay, so let's let's take that step back then. You know, you've got this toddler, this preschooler. When you imagine them when they're 25, who is the person that you hope to be standing in front of you? Like, what are these skills? Parents will all say the same thing, right? We want them to be independent and happy and have a sense of self and be driven and compassionate and um, have a sense of humor and be responsible and have healthy relationships, like all these like grand things, you know? And it goes back to actually the way that we started this conversation, which is like, well, then how are they supposed to get those things if we don't engage now in this relationship, you know? And in these moments, like this is, this is when it starts. And so it doesn't mean that you have to be fun. It doesn't mean that you aren't tired. You are. And yes, and these are the moments when it matters. You know, like these are the moments on these day-to-day. It's the little micro, we say it's spreadable, real moments or learning moments. Like it's these little micro, micro moments that add up. And it's actually not forever. Like this feeling, that that heart feeling that you have, it really can, routines and habits can get established within a couple of weeks. Kids really respond. When you can just let go of expectations and just say, We're, I'm just going to practice this as part of the routine for like, two to three weeks and just see what happens, you'd be amazed at really the shift. I hear this from parents over and over and over again. They're like, in the beginning, they would complain. They would say, ah, but I kept at it, which is that connection and firmness, that consistency. And they're totally like, now they just ex- now they just expect it. Now they totally do it. So I think it's that part too of like shifting your, um, like I think parents can be so quick. Funny, they're kind of just like kids, right? Like they're like, they also complain and don't want to do it or give up too easily or like things. And they're like so annoyed that their little kid won't do that, you know, sort of like thinking for yourself, like we do hard things. We go on hikes or do, you know, like you've got to dig into that part, too. And I think sometimes people think with parenting littles, it's like that checkout time. And and it's like, no, this is this is it. Like those are those. Like, yeah, this is a real check in time. I mean, yeah, I know, because as a parent of an almost the 13 year old, almost 16 year old, like there are like there can be an there could be an hour and a half in my day where they're just up in their room with their door closed. I don't know what's happening. 
So it's not as like physically time intensive. The problems can be bigger and, you know, I need to be connected to them. But yeah, like that, this time with the littles is this like, you know, this is the the definitely the check-in time. So what we talked about like with the cleaning, kind of what might happen when, you know, and you talked about kind of taking something that could be a power struggle and kind of moving it and, and approaching it in a lot of different ways to make it more invitational. And but yet kind of holding that boundary. What what advice do you have for parents who are currently struggling with like a lot of power struggles? What you know, what about the people who say that like connecting with them will reinforce bad behavior? Where does the parent start with that when they're having these power struggles? Yeah, I get that a lot. They're like, oh, so now I'm supposed to just like a song after they've just like walked away from me or like (laughs) threw that thing down and was like all sassy and now I'm supposed to just be like oh let's just play you know isn't that just letting them get away with that and um and so I think so I have two answers to this number one is slice it thinner slice it thinner slice it thinner so sometimes you hear this like make the request smaller or slice it thinner but do think about and and this is where when we think about a power right even just thinking about that parents get into such this like I'm the, you know, I'm the boss and I'm the, you'll listen to me and I'm the authority. And then they wonder why their little one is like trying so desperately to regain some sense of control and autonomy. So the first part is to allow, be okay with that. Allow yourself to make that request smaller. You're not asking them, asking two and a half year old or even a four and a half year old to clean up the entire playroom. Maybe it's just that we really, ex- our expectations, like you were asking about expectations, mm. that it's just that we set the timer for four minutes because that's how old they are. And we're going to get as many things in as we can. We're going to listen as we're going to listen to two rounds of your favorite song and how much is cleaned up is great, you know? And so or it's, I'm just asking you to, or it's just this one little section and then, you know, the rest. Well, this is interesting, Julieta. Can I just jump in here? Because I think this is interesting because what you're saying is really about this idea of like the middle path and listening to kids. Like you're saying, if you're getting a lot of pushback from kids, like what you're describing is saying, like you're listening to the kids and saying, oh, this is really hard for you. Like, I'm, you know, and so let's figure out how it can be something that is doable for you, right? That's, I, I think that's really key there is the fact that like underlying what you're saying is this idea that we're actually listening and respecting, listening to kids, what they're saying and and giving them some respect as a human being by to listen to that. Right. And so and when we can actually like if and I think that reframe is that discipline means to teach. I'm sure we've talked about this well, a lot. Right. So we know we know this. We know that discipline actually means to teach. So if you're teaching somebody, well, if our goal is to teach them how to independently take care of their things. That's our ultimate goal, right? For your 13 and 10 year old, they're up in their room, keeping their room tidy, which I'm sure comes naturally to them because of your husband. But like, you know, with that, like <laughs> the idea with our littles, like that is our goal. We want them to take care of their things, to have, to me, the, the other piece is the executive functioning. We're teaching them how to organize where things go. So if that is our ultimate life skill, then in order to teach somebody, we've got to help them and we can't help them or slice it thinner or look at it from that skilled perspective unless we get to it through their perspective, oh. you know, and really see it through their eyes of what would be helpful for them in that moment. Oh. So thinking about that from a teacher lens, what would help them learn this skill? What would help them practice this right now? Not just how do I get them to obey me, oh. you know? 
So going back to this idea then of like, well, if I just make it fun, they're going to, it's going to just positively, you know, it's just going to reinforce that bad behavior. But we know from neuroscience and where positive discipline gives us the language around this as well, is that kids do better when they feel better. And that is, that's it. Like I haven't met, I mean, I, the thousands of students that I've worked with, even the ones that are like, I hate this school. I don't want to be here. Good. I want to go to the principal's office. Like, you know, even those kids that like from the outward think, you know, deep down, it's like when they do, when they feel better, their behavior reflects that. And that's where the Adlerian psychology and positive discipline come in. It's like when, when kids are encouraged, their behavior reflects that they are confident, they're happy, they're cooperative, they're proud. Their their tone of voice, they don't have the baby voice anymore. You know, they really have their their age of voice, that strong voice. So uh-huh. So the idea that if we make, if we connect, that it's going to reinforce that bad behavior or them walking away, it just doesn't align with neuroscience. When kids, you know, don't feel good, when they feel disconnected, that is when their, you know, more misbehavior shows up. They're going to be more whiny. They're going to have the tantrum. They're going to have the power struggle, all of those things. So the connection part really engages their brain to a place where they feel safe, they feel seen, and they're more to cooperate. So I just say it's really the neuroscience and the Adlerian psychology that kids do better when they feel better. And Jane Nelson, the author of the Positive Discipline books, that's really um, where she leans into in such a beautiful way. And and I, I invite parents to like try it out for themselves. I'm like, really? Okay. Yeah. Play with that. See where that gets you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Kids who feel better do better, obviously. I mean, yes, 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 yes. That's so beautiful. I mean, I, Juliet, I think it's obvious that you and I could see geek out about these things for a long time. I would, it's so fun. I think at some point we need to have like, we need to have a conference. Okay. We're not going to even just, you know, listener, if you think that's a good idea, you can let us know, but we're, we'll just like put that out into the ether someday. I love talking to you about this. There's obviously so much more we could talk about. I think there's so much here that parents are going to find so, so valuable. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you enormously. Where where can people find you? And is there anything we miss that you want to leave them with? Well, yes. I mean, I would like, gosh, time goes by so fast. I know I, I sort of, I really, I get into an, uh, like a time warp too, where I lose time talking about this because I get so excited and passionate about it. So definitely if I missed anything in this conversation, listeners, then, then please, yes, come find me. You can, I also have a special for your listeners um, that's a helpful download, free download with five tips to manage those big emotions. Because I think what can happen is during these times of those transitions or those power struggles, I think where parents can um, can often get stuck is like, well, great. How am I supposed to get them to clean up or do the stuff when they're having a full on meltdown too? And so that being able to embrace that and have some tools around that to be able to not just, I think, um, some tips around just like what we've talked about, obviously, that like when you when we have these routines, when we have this kind of connection and um, invitation and space and environment to discover how capable they are, those are reduced dramatically, right? Those those big emotions and things like this. So a lot of what we've talked about today. So you can find that at my website, which is besproutable.com slash emotions. So that's our free download for tips for calming big emotions spreadable.com slash emotions. And you can find me there. I do coaching. I have classes. We have at Spreadable 
our um, a fantastic course. I think it's fantastic online um, course that's on demand, self-paced for toddlers, for preschoolers, a whole positive discipline course that shows real families. We felt filmed real families using the tools. So there's no actors. You just get to see it in action. And um, it comes with a lot of amazing and helpful resources. So you can find me at bespreadable.com and um, send any question my way. We send out a free newsletter each week that has really super helpful tips for parents of young children, parents of elementary as well. So thank you so much, Julietta, for for coming. I I really, really appreciate it. It was fabulous talking to you again and and seeing you because I know you're lovely. And obviously, you have so, so much to contribute here. And just like this voice of connecting us to the little kids and that that making them, you know, those often misunderstood littles, helping them be more understood definitely here and now today. So thank you so very much. Thank you so much for having me. You you are a gift. Your podcast, your book, your whole community is such a gift to this parenting journey for all of us. So thank you for all you do, Hunter. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I love what Julieta had to say. Kids who feel better, do better. Yes, this idea of getting into their world. I mean, I feel motivated to connect with some toddlers right now, and I don't even have any toddlers around me anymore. But I'm like, man, maybe I need to go talk to some toddlers because I feel so motivated. So I hope you feel just as motivated if you have or parent of toddler or preschooler and seeing this as the critical window instead of as this like relentless time, like, yes, let's. And, you know, it all goes back to you having your own rest and reprieve and support and all of those things that are so, so, so vital. So I'm hoping you're you're getting that and making that a priority so that you can show up for these littles in your life with more more groundedness, more presence, although that's what they need so much, right? Like so much more than the most organic food or or the best toys or anything. They don't need any of that. Like stop roaming the internet for that stuff and take that time to practice being kind to yourself, practice being present, practice some mindfulness so that you can really do the effort it takes to show up to your kids and in all those creative ways to invite them to the table. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so I hope you really enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, I would love it if you would leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you didn't like it so much, it's okay. But if you would like to, I would love it because it really just makes the podcast grow more and makes such, such a big, big difference. And and you sharing it really makes a big difference. But listen, I want to sh- give a shout out to a reviewer, to One Foot Up, who left a review a ways back. Five-star review. She said, mindful brilliance. Love, love, love this podcast. Hunter is a delightful teacher and mentor. Her teachings and guests offer a straightforward approach to parenting in a powerful yet mindful way. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, that is such a big deal. It makes me feel amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Would love to know if you love this episode. Tag me in it. Maybe share it on your Instagram stories. Tag me in it at Mindful Mama Mentor and share it with your friends and all that stuff. That makes a huge, huge difference. And hey, I'm wishing you a good week. I'm wishing you time moments of rest when you need them, full nights of sleep and some fun, maybe time with friends and some humor about this whole thing because, man, we need that too. So I'm wishing that for you and some peace and ease and sparks of joy in your day, even if it is as gray and rainy as it has been here in Delaware recently. I hope you and I, we should try to remember the sun is behind the clouds. We remember it's always shining. Reminded myself too. And thank you so much for listening. Can't wait to connect with you again next week. Namaste. I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it? who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not gonna tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. 
but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.